Hey everyone, welcome into week two of Advent. Our theme this week is peace. I'm excited to see you all again on Sunday. Don't forget we'll have the Advent packs for being able to pick up and also just continue to spend time together. And now, thanks to a core group of people, uh, the sanctuary looks absolutely beautiful for uh, Christmas. So for me, the seasons of Advent and Lent are both like teeter-totters, constantly in movement, balancing between the growing pains of waiting and changing, with the gratitude and simplicity I find in centering ourselves in each of those seasons. I appreciate these sorts of traditions that help bring us back to something, um, even if that something feels slightly different each year. And I think the movement is important. We're not stagnant in this kind of period of waiting as we're present to what's changing within us. If you've ever taken a yoga class, I found that the longer I hold a pose, the more resistance I feel in my muscles to move into the next one. It's in this resistance that I gain strength, um, but it's also a reminder that I have to keep moving and breathing through it. I appreciate that Advent is this subversive time of returning uh, to what other uh, theologians have referred to as kind of like the darkness of the womb in order to discover what lies at our center. And we meet this kind of silence where we can actually hear ourselves and to dwell into this kind of sacred, dark, and silent place. Um, I appreciate again that we are able to suspend some of our literal or uh, intellectual side of our minds and how we think in the season in order to create space for a conversation. So I'm going to read from Isaiah chapter 11, verses 1 through 10. A shoot will grow up from the stump of Jesse. A branch will sprout from his roots. The Lord's spirit will rest upon him, a spirit of wisdom and understanding, a spirit of planning and strength, a spirit of knowledge and fear of the Lord. He will delight in fearing the Lord. He won't judge by appearances nor decide by hearsay. He will judge the needy with righteousness and decide with equity for those who suffer in the land. He will strike the violent with the rod of his mouth. By the breath of his lips, he will kill the wicked. Righteousness will be the belt around his hips and faithfulness the belt around his waist. The wolf will live with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the young goat. The calf and the young lion will feed together and a little child will lead them. The cow and the bear will graze, their young will lie down together, a lion will eat straw like an ox, a nursing child will play over the snake's hole, toddlers will reach right over the serpent's den. They won't harm or destroy anywhere on my holy mountain. The earth will surely be filled with the knowledge of the Lord, just as the waters cover the sea. The word of God. And so... Again, there is this meeting between the tradition and the history of this Old Testament text with the space of Advent and as we kind of project within it the coming of Christ. In this time, Israel, or more accurately Judah, was living in a tumultuous time. The northern kingdom had been dismantled and deported. Its Assyrian conquerors were threatening Judah. 
and even material wealth or security did not bring a sense of peace in the middle of it. So in the middle of all of this, Isaiah is standing in the midst um, with an occasional kind of sharing of light and hope um, as he is projecting in the future. Now, what I like about this text, one of many things, um, is that this vision of peace that is kind of brought together by the Messiah, all of nature and creation participates. This place of peace is this mountain. Um, The land is filled with knowledge of God. The peace of God includes human beings, animals, and the land. There's this reconciliation and restoration for all of creation. It's not just about humans. Little children will be able to play with snakes. Animals are able to sit and commune together. Um, there's no there's no harm or fear of harm that is present. So how do we get there? What does peace really mean? It's kind of more clinically defined as a stress-free state of security and calmness that comes where there's no fighting or war. Everything exists in harmony and freedom. I think the harmony aspect is important to name that you've come to at least with the internal peace part, a place of acceptance in your life that is not judgmental. Um, I describe it as a sense of ease within yourself, your relationships, and the world. There's also an idea of negative peace, which focuses on the absence of violence and also the absence of the fear of violence. And Peace has this kind of multifaceted approach where it is both an internal journey and an external one in the midst of all of our relationships. There's this phrase that has gone around for a while, um, at least to my ears, of protect your peace. And I've heard it a lot, especially recently, where protecting your peace means at its most general level, caring for and safeguarding your physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual self in whatever ways you define that. It's a personal journey, you're setting boundaries, whatever you determine to be in your own best interest. And I think there's something to that importance of making sure relationships, situations that you're in are healthy. However, I have heard this more so as kind of a gateway to just, you know, cutting off relationships, cutting off things um, they feel like don't serve you prematurely or without um, an approach that encourages relationship with other people, that encourages vulnerability with other people in a healthy way. I think this is a very individualistic, protective, scarcity mentality approach to peace that's misguided. I think the more that we start to fully focus solely on what peace means to us as an individual, the more potential there is for isolation. I also think that it's more in line with peacekeeping than peacemaking, where peacemaking is more the route that Jesus takes, and I think one that we are called to. 
A peacemaker is someone who's willing to resolve both outer and inner turmoil in order to establish peace with others and within themselves, which requires some level of engagement in conflict and tension to help bring people, the relationship to a healthy place. But a peacekeeper, on the other hand, desires to maintain peace by avoiding conflict. They either steer clear of disagreement, they are generally folks who have trouble um, with trying to please everybody, keep everyone happy, um, hate rocking the boat, and they'll sacrifice their own inner peace to maintain the facade of peace with others. The reality is that there is a lot that has to be done for most people to be in a space that they can experience, and then this whole idea of protecting their peace. Because access to peace has not been equitable. This we know, we've had plenty of conversations about it. So is it really peace if it's just yours? Of course, in this time and many times throughout our lives, chaos, unrest, and conflict have permeated every aspect and perhaps like me you've wondered if it's even a possibility to experience a sense of security that comes from true peace there's a lack of peace in churches workplaces a global level uh, a personal level we are hearing every day the numbers of um, theft and crime uh, violence and abuse all of this speaking to a lack of peace and of great unrest. I think it's not too hard to spot the differences between peacekeeping and peacemaking. It is so difficult to enter that space of peacemaking, especially if you've only ever been taught how to keep peace rather than make it. I don't think that Jesus is flippant with sharing a message of peace, but it isn't like marginal either. I think throughout Jesus's life, it is not, you know, thrown everywhere in a way that cheapens it, but instead it does seek to permeate all relationships. And it took so much action, so much intentionality throughout Jesus's life, throughout Jesus's ministry, to be present to what it would take to make some sense of peace, even if it was for a moment. For me, there tends to be a couple of places that I notice peace showing up in my life. Um, Usually it is a sense of quiet and ease where my mind is not currently being plagued by to-do lists, questions of enoughness, rage of injustice. Peace has sometimes arrived without my noticing. All of a sudden, I just recognize that it's around me. Um, or it arrives with a great deal of noise and often after an intense storm of something. That It, again, t- has taken so much to build that space or even just the potential for peace. I think of this Christmas Advent story of a certain amount of peace after a birth which was filled with labor pains, filled with uncertainty, filled with possibility. I think sometimes we expect peace to come at just the completion of something rather than in the middle of it or at the beginning. But Jesus' story 
has all these different moments of peace that kind of appear in the middle of the storm. In this week's reading, uh, this prophet speaks of a king on whom the spirit of the Lord shall rest. Of course, generations of Christian interpreters have identified this figure with Jesus. I think it is enough that we can point to the space of peace and allow there to be hope behind peace, even though it feels so hard some days. I think realistically, I wonder often how feasible true peace is, the kind of peace where everyone I know can experience ease and joy in the moment. But I do think we see glimpses of a kind of liminal peace that we can still access in this time. And not not despite of everything, but including everything that we are going through. According to Isaiah, this transformation from a culture of fear to a world at peace begins with the stump. Something that appeared finished, left behind, comes the sign of new life. And this is a tiny bit of hope and a tiny bit of peace, that it emerges as something so small in an unexpected place. But in that, I see a vision of hope and a possibility of peace in the future of community. We know that there are changes that need to shift in the life of church community, especially on a global level. We see the needs that have multiplied. We see that much of how things have been done, quote unquote, the way things have always been, need to be left behind. But still in that, there's some sense of hope that has come out of that. Again, not despite of, but because of. In all of these things, they stem from a hope that we receive in this passage, that we are waiting and looking towards the arrival of justice, of peace, of Christ. And we have to care for these tiny, fragile, questionable stems that might not always feel as strong of hope as we would like to have. I think this is the balance between exploring and experiencing kind of the cosmic faith that we are trying to attend to, um, the way in which Christ moves within our lives, the way that being still, that being vulnerable instead of protective against um, a sense of peace, of collaboration with other people brings us. I think this often has to come from a place that surpasses understanding, um, that sometimes it arrives without us even recognizing it or realizing it, but it's enough just to pay attention to these moments around us. I really like our theme of set free and made whole. These are two, there are two things that come to mind in that second part. First, that we have already been made as a whole. We don't have to continue to believe that we're broken or incomplete in a way that does us a disservice and causes inner like tumult rather than inner peace. I also think it connects to an idea that a collective piece of the whole is the only way that we are set free together. I think this Isaiah text demonstrates that the justice of God and the peace of God come together. So may we continue to seek both together too. In all of this, I wonder how we might break into a space of, instead of protecting our peace, 
like we're guarding against attack, that it's something that is scarce, that we might be able to step into a space that extends a hand, that holds it just a little more openly, that we can lift each other up, that we can lift a collaborative sense of peace up, even with how hard that might seem in the midst of everything that we're going through. And that's why we still bring up these themes of working through and with eco-anxiety, working with and through acts of active protest, of coming together as a community in different ways, that all of this is important to the life that we've kind of chosen to participate in, especially here at Mission Hills. It doesn't look the same for all of us, but obviously there's something that keeps pulling us back together. There's something that brings us on a Sunday where we might be able to experience just one small sliver of peace as we join together in collective meditation or song or conversation. That there can still be a certain amount of ease on a Sunday morning or in a group chat or something, (laughs) some place of communion together. That is what I think holds us together. That hope that peace is still there keeps us moving forward even when we're really tired. Even when it seems like everything is pitting against us in the opposite direction. So might we take a little bit of hope, a little bit of spirit of that wisdom, of peace, of ease from this passage and from our conversations together. And thank you for being that place together. It is not easy to show up in space, especially when our minds are maybe at war, our countries are at war. There's something to be said about continuing to show up for yourself and with others in the midst of those things. So thank you. I extend gratitude for just that, just showing up. That is more than enough in our journey of peace together. So as we approach this week, may we love God, embrace beauty, and live life to the fullest. Amen.